Welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Alison. And listen, I'll just warn you in advance, I've got the heart racing because I got caught in traffic. I was trying my hardest to get here on time to record our, uh, our QPod. And I must admit, it's been a while since I've been caught in traffic like that. And it reminds you that, you know, the uh, work from home, uh, sometimes it makes it easier and sometimes it makes it harder. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll do our best to have a relaxing chat about uh, economics and markets this week then to calm you down. But I am keen, actually, if you you don't mind, to dive in a little bit to to the Chinese data that was released this week. We had the Chinese GDP out and it was really a bit of a shock and disappointment to markets and forecasters. I think the data was showing the economy is really just not rebounding anywhere near as well from the COVID lockdowns as people are hoping. You know, we saw in most of the developed markets, that real hockey stick, we had a slowdown and a real bounce back. Mm. We haven't seen that in China. Growth stumbled to a pace, an annual pace around 3%, sort of two percentage points lower than the target of 5%. So that in itself is a bit unusual with the Chinese usually being very accurate with their, their forecasts. So it really seems that China's lost momentum and that reopening boost is much smaller than we've seen in other economies. So what are you making of all of this? And, you know, why is it so tepid? Yeah, well, I think you point out something really critical that this rebound you've seen in China is not like the rebound we saw in the other economies. Now, if we look at those other economies, you know, the US, Europe, even Australia, the rebounds that we had out of the lockdowns were driven predominantly by the household sector, you know, spending again, whereas what we've seen in China is the household sector being very cautious. In fact, in those other economies, US, Europe, Australia, as I said, where the savings rates came down, household savings rates came down. In China, those savings rates actually went up. Now, that may well reflect the uncertainty around the outlook. And although data is a bit tricky in China, as you you alluded to, the overall unemployment rate that the Chinese authorities produce, it's hovering around 5%, pretty steady. But if you look at other data, it's probably a little bit more reliable. If you look at the youth unemployment data, for example, uh, Alison, that surged to 21%, 21%. So my guess is the labour market in China is under a lot more pressure than the overall unemployment rate would uh, have us believe. That is interesting. But just before you leave the household sector, because there is a lot to talk about, big headwinds surely has to be what's going on in the property sector. You know, it gets a lot of headlines and a lot of discussion, but we have seen, you know, some quite material devaluations and continued pressure. A recent example of that, um, the defaulted developer Evergrande, uh, which made headlines a few years ago, but it's now been released that it's lost $119 billion mm. Australian mm. dollars over the last two years. I mean, that is a, you know, a large loss in any circumstance. So, as I said, house prices are starting to fall again. So that's got to be an issue. Yeah, well, exactly right, Alison. And again, you see, that's in stark contrast to the experience in the West, where up until recently, particularly with the reopening out of COVID, the housing markets in those economies, including Australia, were boosting economic activity, not a drag. And that weakness in the property sector in China is also significant ramifications in China for government spending, where local authorities are heavily reliant on the revenue from land sales to help fund their uh, expenditures. So it's putting the uh, local governments under pressure as well. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, just drilling in a little bit more. Another difference about the China reopening 
really appears that the Barrow is thinking a little bit differently. With when the West reopened, we were opening to a strong global economy, but that's really not the case for China. We've got the rest of the global economy slowing down by largely by the actions by the central banks. But what difference do you think that makes? Yeah, well, again, we agree. Um, those headwinds from the deteriorating global economy are clearly constraining economic activity in China, uh, and and it's weighed where it shows up. Um, Allison is you know, in the manufacturing sector and, and also the hit to China's exports, which China's exports are down over 12% over the year to June. And now China is is very, got a very large share of um, its economy to exports over 20%, in contrast to say the US is around about 10%. So that's a big weight on the economy, as you say, Ellison. And China is not alone in this regard. So the slowdown in global manufacturing activity that you're alluded to, weighs on the East Asian region as a whole. Remember, East Asia is the global hub of manufacturing. And then there's the feedback loop, of course, with China and, mm. and the East Asian economies. So, you know, that's another uh, significant headwind, not just to China, but our region in general. Absolutely. So given all of those headwinds, what's China going to do about the slowdown? There has been some talk for quite a while about some stimulus, and there's been a little, little, you know, a few policy measures here and there. But is it going to look at, you know, bringing out its old playbook of infrastructure spending and providing support to the property market, or is it going to have to take a different, different tack this time? Oh no, Alison, roll out the same old playbook. That's <laughs> what they've been doing. This, yep, there's certainly been plenty of um, support to the property market. That goes from the macro down to the micro. So at the macro level, they've already cut official interest rates by 10 basis points. There moving to lower outstanding mortgage rates and they're giving a further 12-month loan extension to developers. Now, given inflation, you've got to remember inflation in China is zero, another indicator that that economy is operating well below potential. Further monetary support is likely. Uh, we expect another 10 basis point cut in key interest rates, official interest rates, and a 25 basis point cut in the reserve requirement ratio. Well, notwithstanding, as you say, they have done some of these measures, which are, you know, cumulatively do add up. It hasn't spurred on the property market yet. But what about in the infrastructure sector? Are they, are they spending there again? Well, yeah, we, we do expect further fiscal spending to be rolled out following the Politburo's meeting uh, at the end of the month. Just sort of to challenge you here a bit, and look, I appreciate your, it's a perspective, but look, it does appear that the same old, same old may not work this time around. I mean, you can't really force people to to take credit if they're worried about the outlook and just the environment. What do we think we're going to be able to do to sort of stop these imbalances and that have led to so many developers becoming insolvent? Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's really the big question confronting the uh, authorities at the moment. Now, they do have the scope to roll out targeted stimulus support to the economy in the second half of 2023. Uh, however, we don't expect authorities to pursue really large-scale stimulus like we saw following the GFC. And for the reasons that you said, that those imbalances that are being created by the, the standard playbook are getting worse and worse. If we look at non-financial debt, for example, in China, it's almost 300% of GDP at the end of last year. So instructing state-owned enterprises who carry the majority of that debt to borrow even more in order to undertake unprofitable infrastructure build is coming at a really significant cost to mm. growth down the track because, you know, there's going to be a reckoning of that debt at some stage. Hence, what we're seeing in China is authorities pulling back on stimulus 
as soon as crises appear to have passed. And that's making China somewhat of a yo-yo economy, like a boom-bust economy. I think you alluded to that earlier in in a couple of your uh, statements there. And that's quite different to what we're used to with China. You know, we're used to China being more stable, this high-growth economy uh, that we saw leading into, and for the first five years after the GFC. Now, the ramifications for us here in Australia has been that since the GFC, China's really played a counter-cyclical role through its impact on our prices for resources. You know, in other words, when the global economy China went uh, started to slow, China rolled out its playbook and boosted the price of our iron ore, coal, etc. And that sort of saved Australia from going into the same downturn as the global economy. But now what's happening with China pulling back swiftly on its fiscal stimulus, it's causing those terms of trade to roll over very quickly. And then now China's adding to volatility and adding to this yo-yo effect from its impact on the terms of trade. Yeah, it's a really interesting conundrum look at really, and it does have quite a material impact here in Australia, as you say. And not only in relation to, I guess, our our terms of trade, which is obviously very important and, and including our our major export sector and the resources sector, but you know, thinking about other other aspects like the currency, where we are seeing uh, the Australian dollar being weighed upon by the the outlook and the trajectory of the Chinese economy as well. So there is different linkages appearing, which are having impacts throughout the entire economy for Australia. So it is one to watch, and hence why it was great to dive into that today. And looks like we're facing some challenges, but I guess there's unfortunately different challenges of all sorts around the globe at the moment. It's not an easy environment to navigate. Matthew, thank you again for joining me. Hopefully your heart rate has come down somewhat. (laughs) And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10. 